we've been um, talking about transition. Where uh, how many of you were not here this morning in either service? How many of you were not here? We forgive you, by the way. I just want to say that. I'm just joking. We don't. Um, no, serious note. Um, we we just as um, as a church body, we've been going through some transition ourselves here, and we have felt um, the need to um, to try to um, see what God's doing um, in us and through us, and try to structure uh, um, accordingly. And how many of you understand that different seasons in our lives require different structures in our life? Like I remember when. My wife walked into the room and said, honey, I'm pregnant. That required a whole new structure. <laughs> I don't know if you got that, but all of those that have remember their first child. I'm like, how did that happen? Um, but something changes when you, you have your first child. I mean, something's supposed to change. And part of the, stru- part of the struggle is that that, um, you know, some, sometimes people try to um, make a family after they have a child instead of before. Um, but the goal is to be a family and add children to your family and have, and have a structure. And I, I think it's kind of funny sometimes because people, are, um, they're married for a certain length of time. And you're like, do you have any children? They're like, no, we want to be ready. <laughs> I always think that's funny because 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 in your first when you've had your before you've had your first child, you think being ready means like you're going to have enough money and maybe you're going to have a room for them all painted. And, you know, you, that's what they mean by ready. But actually, that doesn't really have anything to do with being ready. Like all the money in the world doesn't help when your kid cries for three nights and three days. <laughs> And you don't know what to do, like, and you're like, well, we painted the room and we have money. <laughs> How many of you are flowing with me? Like, like you, you don't, it's like, there are some things you just can't get prepared for. And it's, 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 it is, it is funny. So people are, well, and I don't, you know, I don't care how long it takes for them to have children, but I just think it, the principle of we're going to be ready to have children is, is, can be kind of funny to me. So we're married for 15 years and like we're trying to get ready to have children. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you mean by ready. But but listen, it doesn't matter how ready you are. You won't be ready. Like things will happen that you cannot predict. It's just totally unpredictable. But um, but there is um, but there is some some truth to the fact that we can be ready in the sense that we have a covenant relationship and that we we bring a child into a peaceful situation and. Um, so at least they have, you know, when they when you bring them into a peaceful situation, at least at least it begins peaceful till they show up. <laughs> and uh, I'm mostly teasing. And all I'm all I'm saying is, is that when um, when there are seasons changes, when there's seasons change in our life, it requires us to change with the season. And I we were youth pastors for many years and. We um, we we pastored junior high and high school kids and um, and I watched for many years as parents struggled, especially with their first teenager. You know, when your when your child goes from um, you know from a preteen to a teenager, when they hit puberty, let's say, a dramatic shift happens in them, and the way that you um, have to lead them, the way that you lead them, 
dramatically changes because you understand that the, um, the maturity kind of goes like this, dependent, right? When you're little, when you're a little baby, you're a dependent. Like, you're going to, you, you know, if, you, if someone doesn't feed you and change you, you're going to, like, drown or starve. And, and you're completely dependent. Your parents do everything for you. And you kind of grow in that, you know, you grow in that, in that, uh, out of that dependence. But you get to this place when you hit puberty and you move from dependence to some level of independence. And you're kind of like, I don't have parents. Like, I'm a test tube child and I don't want anybody to know <laughs> I actually have parents. And I remember, uh, Jason and Eddie, my, my two sons, we used to play basketball, um, every Saturday just at the, at the school. And um, there was, there'd be, you know, about 15 or 20 teenagers down there, and I would go down and play with them, and I was really the only dad that was down there playing with them. And one day, um, I got my basketball shorts on like we always did on Saturday morning, usually around 10 o'clock, and, and, um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm waiting out in the front room for the boys just you know, to come down so we can go play. And so finally, uh, Jason comes down, and he's like, Hey, Dad, um, what are you doing today? My, we've been doing this for like years. Every Saturday, I'm like, um, I got my basketball shorts on. I'm just like, he, I said, he says, what are you doing today? I said, um, playing basketball. What are you doing? He said, uh, well, do you, do you need to go? Do I need to go? I mean, it took me a second. I'm like, do I need to go? What do you... What, what do you mean? He's like, well, Dad, do you need to go? Do you need to? I, I heard you. I don't have any clue what you're talking about. Do I need to go? And I'm kind of looking at him. He's got this look in my eyes like, I think Eddie sent him downstairs. Like, go ask Dad if he has to come. And so I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean. He's like, Dad, you, you're the only dad on the court down there. I'm like, yeah. It's awesome supporting you. He's like, no, that feels really weird that our dad's down there with us. Kind of like we're like nerds and our daddy has to come with us and play basketball with us. I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem. You guys, go on your own. Jerk. And I just remember, I just remember my, my, you know, kids going through this time. And, and what was interesting is, you know, by the time uh, my kids hit their teenage years, we had been youth pastors for many years. So, but it just never dawned on me like that was going to happen to us. Like we were going to be cool and our kids were going to want us with them all the time. But they got to this place in, when they, they got to this place in their life where they moved into this independent mode. And I don't mean in an unhealthy way, but they were just trying to find their own identity. They were trying to find their own relationship with God. How many know God doesn't have any grandkids? And so there was natural, um, this natural time in life just happened where the, the way that we led them when they were dependent was totally different leading them when they became independent, when they were becoming young adults. And then, obviously, hopefully, the goal is for them to become interdependent as they enter their adult years. And so, um, a lot of times, I think that people don't really discern the seasons of their life very well. And if I could just use that as an illustration, there are parents that are great parents when their kids are little. And, and I mean, they love their kids the same. They love their kids the same as we all do. But when the kid, when the kid becomes 
um, a teenager or hits puberty, they, they, they don't know how to release them into their, into their destiny, if you will. And they're still trying to treat them as if they're dependent when they've hit this place where they're becoming independent and becoming their, and finding, and, you know, becoming their own person, if you will. And they, you know, and in, when I was a youth pastor, they would come to me and say, you know, my son this or my daughter that, and, and I'm listening to them and I'm trying to explain to them, like, like, that's called normal. Like, the fact that your kid doesn't want you around all the time, that's called normal. That's the season they're in. And it has nothing to do with them not loving you. It has nothing to do with them, you know, um, not, not valuing you. It has to do with them finding their place, their own place in God, their own place in life. And you've been preparing them for this. And your job now is to, is to coach them in, 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 in life. And, and, um, and so we, we find, you know, one of our, so part of our job as youth pastors wasn't just pastoring the, the young people, but it was also pastoring the parents through this transition. And the first one is often, for some parents, shocking and difficult. And, uh, and I understand how that works. So when, you know, different epic seasons require a different way of leading, if you will. And it's important for us, like the sons of Issachar, which I've quoted many times recently, the sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what Israel should do in the times. And so it's really important in, in this, in my illustration, it's really important as a family man, as a father, that I discern where my sons, where my daughters are so that I can pastor them in the place that they're at and not in the place that I'm comfortable with or not in the place that I want them to be at, but in the place they actually are at. So that I can lead them in a way that's congruent with the season that they're in. Does that make sense? And as we grow as a, um, as a church, as a body, our, our, our church is growing, our body's growing. I'm not just talking about numbers. Um, obviously there's a piece to that. But I'm actually talking about in, in revelation and in relationship with God. As we, as we begin to mature in God, as we begin to grow in God, and as our call begins to change and, and manifest change, it requires something of us. It requires a structure change. It requires a different mindset. Are you, am I making any sense? So that we, um, so that we, so that we are congruent with our family. So that we are, so that we are releasing our people into their destiny and that we're not, uh, controlling them or in any way, hold, not, not only do we not want to hold them back, we want to empower them. Do you know there's a difference between being empowering and being absent? There are some uh, parents that are like, I don't, I don't control my kid. It's like, no, you don't control them because you're not home. I mean, you actually, you, you actually have to be present to be empowering. Empowering is something you do proactively, not absent. Are you following me? And so we want, we want to be a, a team. Um, we want to be a leadership team that proactively empowers our people, not through the absence of control, but, in the, but through the presence of empowerment. We want to see our people become all that they, they can be in. And, um, and so we're, we're just working to diagnose, if you will, the season that we're in. What season are, are we in? What season are our people in? What season is our leadership team in? And what has God called us to do? And how is the change, how is the transition that our, that our call, how is our uh, call, let me, just, let me just say this, how is our personal call as a body changing? In other words, what God is requiring us to be and do to, how is that changing? And when we were, um, years and years ago, our patriarch, who's, there's, there's a picture of him on the wall in there, um, and our award of, to our students is named after him, Emerald Johnson, is Bill's dad, and, kind of, and my spiritual dad, and actually many of our spiritual fathers. 
And um, he discovered, uh, and with a bunch of other people during this season, that we have a ministry not just to the world, not, but we also have a ministry to God. Like, there was this, there was this revelation, and it probably doesn't sound like a revelation to most of you now, but there was a season where we got this revelation that we are actually a royal priesthood, and that, that royal priest, they don't just minister to the people, but they actually minister to God. So instead of singing songs about God, we started singing songs to God, like directly to God. And that it created a change, that revelation that we were actually priests and that we were priests to the people. And that part we had down for hundreds of years. But the fact that we were actually priests to God and that literally we could sing to God. That God, that Jesus said that the Father is looking for worshipers. He's not looking for worship, but he's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. And that whole revelation, which was carried by our, um, our patriarch, and, and obviously Bill picked that up through his father, and we, you know, we're the recipient of that. And, and the world is really, not just through Earl, but through lots of other fathers and mothers who began to get this revelation pretty much simultaneously that we have, a, we have a responsibility to minister to God and to the people. Just follow me for a minute. That revelation that we are a royal priesthood with a responsibility to minister to the audience of one changed not just, not just who we are, but what we did. In other words, what we do on a Sunday, for, as an example... What we do on a Sunday changed because we had a revelation. And revelation requires a new structure. It requires us to do something different. It requires us to behave differently. And that requires a different structure. And in a practical sense, we worship for an hour because, or, or more, like tonight was a lot longer than that. But we, we, minister, we, make the, we make it our priority to first minister to God. Are you, so when you come to church, when you come to our church, and you listen, you know, it, you, maybe you hear for the first time, and maybe, uh, let's just suppose that you came from a, a different church that didn't receive that revelation, that has yet to receive that revelation, that we are ministers to God. So the music is, is written to encourage the people, and of course there's plenty of scripture for that, teach one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? So actually... Part of what we, why we sing is we actually put revelation to music and we sing it to the people. And that's, there's scripture for that, you understand? But we got this revelation that not only are we to take music and, and use it to, to teach people, teaching one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but we're also to take music and we're to offer it up as a sacrifice to God. So when you come into, when you come to Bethel or, or to many, most, uh, many churches, you walk in the church, and if you haven't had that revelation, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, why are they taking, like, when are we going to get to the spiritual stuff? Okay, we sang some songs, I feel good now, I'm feeling good. Okay, and, it's, and you have the sense that church is all about you. I'm not saying in a bad way, I'm not saying in a selfish way. I'm saying, you go, to, you go without that revelation, you go to church, you come to church thinking, church is about me. Not, not just about me, but it's about people. That's what I'm trying to say. In a healthy way, it's about people. Church is about people. It's about, we come to church to encourage one another in the Lord. We don't think that we come to church for Him. 
And so it creates a structure change because we've had a revelation. Revelation requires a new way of thinking, and a new way of thinking requires a new structure. Are you following me? So uh, as we get revelation, it requires us to do something different. And so structure is based on, the, the, the development of structure is based on basically four things. Who is God? Who are, who are the people who are leading God's people? Who are they leading? And what season are they leading in? So turn to Matthew 16 for a minute. I'm just going to give you a little example. Matthew 16, verse 13. You'll be familiar with these verses. Jesus um, is talking to his disciples in verse 13. Now when Jesus came to the the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And um, a person, uh, a friend of mine told me in the Greek that that actually reads, who am I to you? Some, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist rose from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah. Jesus is like, okay, but who am I to you? And we have to assume that either Peter was fastest or everyone else was quiet. And Peter said, I know who you are, verse 16. You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. In simple terms, Jesus is saying, you just had a revelation. Listen, you didn't think that up. You didn't, you, didn't, you didn't deduct that from the scriptures. You, that wasn't your own idea. Listen, my father actually just gave you a revelation. You got that from the father. It's a good job. Peter, you got that from the father. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then he says this, verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, um, for illustration's sake, how many understand that Jesus is not just the Christ? He's the bread of life, he's the light of the world, he's the savior of the world. I mean, I think John Paul Jackson has 365 names for for Jesus. So do you understand that when, Jesus, when Peter said, you're the Christ, and he got that by revelation from God, you understand that he could have said, you're the Savior of the world, and been just as accurate. He could have said, you're the truth, and just, that would have been just as accurate. Are, are you following me? But he says, you're the Christ. Jesus says to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, well, these are all the things I hear about you. But who am I to you? Uh... To me, you're the Christ. It means anointed or the one anointed with power. And Jesus said, Peter, you got that right. And my father revealed that to you. And listen, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And I'm going to give you the keys, not key. I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind shall be bound. Whatever you lose shall be loose. Here's my point. He says, I see you. I... You, to me, are the one who's anointed with power. 
And Jesus said, and you are the one who the gates of hell will not prevail against. What's he saying? Whoever God is to you, he will be through you. Are you with me? Your revelation of God is actually a revelation of who you are in God. In other words, the way that you see God actually is a revelation. You're like, what am I supposed to be doing? Who is God to you? Well, I don't know. No, no, no. Listen. No, seriously. Who, how do you see God? Tell me how you see God. Now, obviously, there can be something wrong with your lens. You, you know, we, 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 we know that and we probably have all. Why, why do we need to be transformed? Because we were born deformed, right? Are you with me? We have, to be, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds. And that has to do with the way we see God. Are you following me? So let's, if, in other words, if I don't see God, if I see God not the way he really is, but, the, but through a, a scarred lens, then obviously who, who God is through me isn't going to be what God, who God planned to be through me because God is always through me who he is to me. Does that, do you see what I'm getting at? So when I say, when I say, when I, you know, years ago, when we had this revelation, it's like, I know who you are. You're the son of God and you, and we are worshipers. Listen, you're the one who deserves to be worshiped. Yes. And you are worshipers. Oh, we are worshipers. Oh, we're not just Christians. We are worshipers. And what happens? We take on a role because whoever God is to me, he'll be through me. When I realize that God wants to be, that God is worthy of worship and that he can actually receive worship from a human being who has actually nothing to give. I actually have nothing to give, but, the, but God likes the fact that I come and I, we used to sing this song, our kids used to sing this song, what can I give to the king, what can I bring to the king who has everything? And the, and the song goes on, I know, I'll give him my heart. And when we found out that God actually enjoys, like the God who doesn't need anything, the God who created everything, the God who, you know, he literally, if, like, if he wants it, he just thinks it. He just speaks it. The God who doesn't need a thing actually enjoys when we worship. That revelation turned us into worshipers. Are you following me? Because who God is to us, He is through us. And the Holy Spirit became a worshiper through us. Will Holy Spirit worship through us? And we actually like realized like God, the God who's never been born, actually likes this. He actually enjoyed this. And, and Bill, Bill, you haven't taught on worship for a while here, have you? Maybe when I'm gone. But we used to we teach on it for years. Bill would teach us about worship and the different forms of worship and, and the way that God in, enjoys different forms of worship. Like he likes different colored flowers. Like he likes the variety of people and the different colors of people and the different personalities. Like God actually celebrates diversity. He actually likes it. Are you following me? And so as we, as we come to this place where we realize, like, like, who is God to us? And as, we, as every revelation of God, actually every revelation of God is actually creates a manifestation of, tran, of transformation in me. In other words, because I was made in God's image, I was made in God's image and in his likeness. As I see him, I become like him, like First John 4. When we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is. 
What does that mean? I'm being transformed from glory to glory when I see him. Like, it's like, what, what, does, what does John say? When I see the Lord, it's like looking in a mirror. And I'm being transformed from glory, not from sin to glory. Did you notice that? I'm being transformed from glory to glory as if I'm looking in a mirror. Why? Why am I, why when I see Christ, why is it like looking in a mirror? Because I'm his twin brother. He was, God created me in his image. God was the painter. Jesus was the model. And I'm the art piece. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to look like Christ. Paul said, I'm laboring to what? Christ is formed in you. So as I see him, see, every time I learn something new about God, I learn something new about me. I cannot learn anything about God without learning something about me. Every time I go, God, God is merciful. I go, oh, I'm supposed to be merciful. God is long suffering. Oh, I must be too. Why? Because I was made after him. I look just like him. And when I look at him, it's like looking at my twin brother in the mirror. Are you following me? And so as I, as I get a revelation of God, I also get a revelation about me. I can't help it. Like, I'm not trying to. I'm not, like, I'm not on some, like, you know, crisis, identity crisis. Like, I just need to know who I am. Well, sometimes I am, to be totally honest. Gosh, I almost lied. But I don't have to be in the midst of an identity crisis to actually look in the eyes of God and have my identity changed. As a matter of fact... I think most often, as Christians, we change in our identity when we don't even know it, because we're just being transformed as we see Him face to face. Are you with me? And so, you know, and that, that all requires um, change in, in us, and the way that we do life. Like, it requires us to do life different. That's the part that maybe is struggle for some people. As we, as we get revelation, like Peter got a revelation. Hey, you didn't, Peter, you didn't dream this up. You didn't get this from a book. You, you, you didn't get this from the latest iBethel TV. This came from my father. You got this directly from the father. You're the Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got that directly from the father. As I get that kind of revelation, that, requir- that, that revelation transforms me. But it also transforms the way I live. Are you following me? We're going through this great transition in my, in my mind, partly because, well, Bill began this, uh, he wrote this book, When Heaven Invades Earth. That's a great book. If you haven't read it, you should read this book. It's foundational for much of who we are. But, and the book began to release this idea, that not only... Am I to have great character? And I'll just put it in simple words. But I am to walk in power. I'm actually called to do greater works than Jesus. Like, it's not, it's the will of Jesus that I would actually walk in power. It's not a suggestion. It's actually a promise and a command. And so, and, and the book takes on more dimensions than that, but just in simple terms. And then as we begin to walk in power, so, so that, that revelation right there began to transform us. So we started saying, okay, we're supposed to be walking in power and we don't. So how do we, how do we walk in power? And we started to think through structures that would help to teach us first and 
then impart that to other people, like how do we walk in power? And the school of supernatural ministry is a manifestation of that revelation, if you will, that we are actually called to not just be great, nice people. The body of Christ isn't called to be nice people. It's called just nice people. I know some people missed that point, huh? It's like, that's a revelation they got years ago that some people haven't picked up yet. <laughs> it bugs me. People are like, well, that, uh, we have a person in our, in our congregation, we know he's a prophet. I'm like, oh, how do you know that? I'm thinking they're going to tell me, you know, he's got dreams and visions. It's like, well, he just, he's really hard to get along with. <laughs> that sounds like PMS, you know. Post-ministry syndrome. Like, um, I don't think that being a prophet is a personality type or, uh, a, you know, somebody who's having a bad day. Um, anyway, well, I, I lost track of where I was going. I hate when I do that. Anyway, so w- Revelation requires us to change not just who we are, but what we do. Are you following me? And we begin to get this Revelation I don't know, this is progressive. So, you know, you know how lots of revelation, you can, sometimes you can look back and go, hey, I had that dream, and from that day on, it started, and other times it's more like, someone got a little piece, and then someone else got another piece, and then someone taught this piece, and you started put together, and then you don't know what day you actually got it, because it came in little pieces. You know? How many of you understand? Like, you got a little piece, and your little piece, like, you couldn't do much with your little piece of the puzzle. You're like, ha! Ah! Look at the piece of my puzzle. It's like, awesome, that's beautiful. What is it? I don't know. And someone else comes with their piece and they go, look at this. You go, oh, those pieces look like they fit together. And pretty soon, you know, there's eight or ten of those and it's like, oh, that looks like a tree. Oh, that's a tree. Is it a tree? Oh, it's either that or a green cloud. Or maybe it's an explosion. <laughs> because no, we don't know what's down here yet. You know, it's just like... It's like that, right? And pieces come together until at some point somebody actually goes, oh, hey, I think I know what that is. I think, I think it's this. And, and so we started getting this revelation that we were not just to make disciples in nations, but we were actually called to make disciples of nations. We're actually to make disciples of nations. And then some things started to fit together like, the fact that Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your... What are you saying? Your what? Will. will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we started like taking scriptures that we've read over and over, repeated since we were kids, lots of us. And, and we're like, wait a second, wait a second. Slow down. What did you just say? Well, I don't know. Well, what's the only prayer Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Awesome. What's the next verse? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait a second. I thought we were supposed to be getting out of here. Wait, the prayer he gave us wasn't like, pray you get out of here. It's like, pray I come here. And when I do, look around heaven and make it. Listen, I've seated you in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. And what I want you to do is look around heaven and make earth like heaven. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. And we're like, wait a second. I think that he actually means that we're supposed to actually make disciples of nations. 
I think, I think we're supposed to actually make disciples of nations. Really, you, 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 think, you think that's true? Well, it's, it could mean something else. What else could it mean? I don't know. Let's think about it. And then we started, you know, and it wasn't just us. I'm not saying it was just us Bethel people. I'm just saying people started getting pieces of this puzzle. And we're like, wait, seven mountains of influence, people getting prophetic words about the fact that we were called not just to maintain, but we were called to transform. We were called to be, reform the church so we could actually transform the world. And we started realizing that Jesus said, I will build my church. Here, we just read it. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But he said, you extend the kingdom. I think it's 127 times. I need to go back and count. I think it's 127 times Jesus or the, the New Testament makes some statement about extending the walls of the kingdom. You know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and say the kingdoms come near you. Seek first the kingdom and all these things. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so he's saying, listen, I'm going to build the church. You're going to extend the kingdom. That's your job, extend the kingdom. And we're like, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to build the church. It's like, oh, that's why the kingdom's not getting extended. Because we took on your role and no one's taken on ours. This revelation says, hey, I think that. The reason why we gather may be different than we thought. Because we, we had this like, I don't know, I call it the homeschool mentality. I'm not against homeschooling, by the way. So hear me all the way out, okay? But when you homeschool your kids so no one will hurt them, you know, you got a big devil and a little God. I don't want little Johnny like, little Johnny... We put him in the Christian school, but they heard him there. So then we took him home. It's like, wait a second. He was born to destroy the works of the devil. Give little Johnny a break, okay? Let him grow up. I get it. You know, homeschool's fine as long as you're training him how to be a Holy Spirit terrorist training. I got that wrong. But how to be a Holy Spirit terrorist against the devil, not against people. That's part of the other problem right there. It's like we know we were born to kill something, but we don't know what it is. It's like, we don't know where the devil is, start killing each other. I think some of it is just the frustration of not knowing there's a real devil. We're just using our weapons on each other. That's just a maybe. I wasn't sure that's the Lord, but you get where I'm going. And part of the struggle is, they asked Henry Ford. Henry Ford's made this statement, I love it. If, they would have asked, if, um, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have, had, they would have said, faster horses. If I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. That's what, that's, that's what Henry Ford said. It's, see, the problem is you don't know what you don't know. But once you know, you're required to not build faster horses. Not build faster horses. Not train faster horses. See, Henry Ford said, if I would have let people tell me what to do, I would be in the business of building, of, of helping horses to get faster. But he had a revelation that transportation was to change. And when he, when, when he initiated the idea, of course, he didn't invent the automobile, he just invented the manufacturing process. But when Henry Ford began to have this vision of making cars affordable, how many understand that they weren't the best, they, they weren't the best, um, uh, transportation on the planet because this infrastructure was built for horses. And I've shared this before, but the infrastructure was built for horses. 
And now we have cars. And if Henry Ford would have listened to people's complaints, they would have went back to horses. Because instead of the you know, roads, the roads were built for horses. They were there were dirt. And, and instead of being wide and paved, they were narrow and dirty. And there were stables instead of gas stations and blacksmiths instead of mechanics and veterinarians instead of repair shops and stables instead of garages. And so what I'm getting at is this, is that transition is kind of messy because transition, when we get a, this revelation, like I know who you are, I know what we're supposed to do. There is no road to those places. There's resistance, not just by the devil. There's resistance in that when you have a new revelation, it requires it requires it requires structure, it requires roads. And so all of our roads, if you will, are built for gathering. We have a pastoral model of church. It's like we gather people. What do we do on Sunday morning? We gather people. And we worship God. And those those things are all. Listen, those things are right. Do you understand? I'm not saying, well, those are outdated. I'm simply saying that on top of that revelation that we gather people and that we get people healthy is this revelation that Jesus said, listen, I don't want you just to come in. I want you to go out. I mean, the, Jesus didn't say come into all the world. He said go into all the world. So we find that um, this statistic is kind of uh, astonishing. When I wrote the book Heavy Rain, which is about cultural transformation, I did some statistical studies. And one of them that I did, I found out that the cities that have the, lar- the, the greatest Christian church-going population have the worst social statistics in our country, in America. Let me tell you what I mean, just so you make sure that the impact of this really hits you. The more Christians that go to a church in a city, percentage-wise, the worse off the city is. So if you can just, if you want to just do a quick check, just check the ten largest churches, in the mega churches in our country, and check the social statistics of their cities. And what you'll find is, with the exception of two cities, wherever there's a mega church, there's the worst social problems. What's that tell you? The gathering people does not transform cities. Why? Well, if I'd like to say this really simply, it wasn't designed to. Gathering people was designed to gather people. I know this is deep. (laughs) Gathering people was designed to gather people because the revelation we had was that we're here to get people healthy and happy. We didn't have this revelation that we're here to actually change change earth till it looks like heaven. It wasn't the revelation we had, so we weren't doing it because we didn't know we were supposed to do it. So what I'm getting at is this, is that the structure of, of, of our church is changing because the revelation we got is changing. And the Lord says, listen... Here, who, who am I to you? And we're going, Lord, you're the God of the nations. Listen, you're not just the God of people. You're the God of the nations. In fact, you're the judge of nations. In fact, you're going to judge sheep and goat nations. Hey, you don't just pastor individuals. You actually care about geographic places called nations. And you actually have given us responsibility for nations. And you said, I want you... Listen, I want you to go, Isaiah 61, 4. I want you to restore ruined cities. I want you to raise up generations of desolation. I want you, listen, I'm making you responsible for what happens in your town, not just what happens in your four walls. And that revelation is like, oh, God, you are the God. I know who you are. You're the God of the nations. And, and God goes, that's right. And you're the guy I sent to disciple nations. 
And what happens? It requires us to change the way we live. Are you following me? It requires us at some point, at some point we go, wait a second. If we're supposed to transform nations, we didn't design a structure to transform nations. Our, you know, I think the church, I'm not talking about Bethel now, I'm talking about, I'm making a global statement. Some of you won't get this because you don't know what I'm talking about as far as the example, but anyone ever been to the Winchester Mystery House or you know what it is? Okay, it only worked for a few people. So maybe I should tell you about the illustration or leave it alone. I'll tell you about the illustration. It, Winchester Mystery House was the wife of Winchester, the, uh, the guy who designed Winchester rifles, Winchester guns. And she was actually demonized. And she believed that as long as she was building onto her house, that she would have peace. So she built around the clock, 24, I think, I may be exaggerating, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week till the day she died. The problem is, is that she built faster than they could actually design. So there are staircases that go nowhere, doors that open to nothing. It's a bizarre house. And to me, the global church kind of looks like that. It's like, hey, we're doing, open this door, it's awesome. What did you do? I don't know, I have a revelation about the door, but I don't know anything about where it's supposed to go. And people do things because they've been doing it this way for a hundred years and nobody actually knows anymore why we do it. And we'll, we'll die for something. We have no idea why we're... Are you following me? And so what I'm getting at is this, is that, that, that we're coming to this place where I think that maybe the greatest transition since the cross, the greatest transition in human history is happening in the church and ultimately in the world because we're the ones supposed to be leading the world. So in my mind, like, you know, President Obama, President Bush, President Clinton, whoever, we're like, the president needs to make some changes. And the Lord's like, I didn't put, listen, I told you to make disciples of nations. I told you, I told you to restore. restore. Why are you putting this on a, a, a politician when I put it on you? I gave you authority over the earth. I didn't give the president, I give you. You are complaining about your job. And so what's happening in, in us is that we're beginning to say, and I'm talking about now us personally as Bethel Church. We're beginning to say, hey, what does it look like to di- disciple a nation? I remember um, being with a friend who's um, a, a leader in one nation. And this person, um, we were driving along in, in their nation, and, and, and they stopped the car, and they said to me, we're giving you this nation. I'm like, okay. And they said, what are you going to do with us? I'll say, we're going to bring the kingdom. And they said, what does it look like? We're on the side of the road, on the way to the airport. What does it look like? We're going to heal the sick. We're going to raise the dead. We're going to cast out demons. Because we've been saying for years. And, and they said, okay, after that. I mean, after you get rid of all the negative stuff, do you have any vision of what to do with us once we're not sick anymore and the demons are gone? I don't know. Um, we, we have a mash unit idea of changing nations. Like, we're going to get the demons out and we're going to heal the sick. 
and we're going to raise the dead. Okay, well, what are we going to do with these people who came back to life and who were now well? well I don't know. But the, the problem was, is that this person was serious. And they looked at me again, tears in their eyes and said, I'm asking you, we're giving you this nation. What are you going to do with us? Oh, I already said we're going to heal the sick, make the dead, cast out demons, and I have this thought. I've never actually, ever, you know, it's like a dog chasing a car. <laughs> I actually don't know how to drive a car. I just know how to chase them. <laughs> have you ever just stopped and the dog's chasing the car? You stop the car, you open the door, and the dog's all. Totally unequipped to drive a car. I spent my whole life, I went to, I went to car chasing school. I mean, I graduated top of my class. My goal was to chase cars. What do you do if you catch one? I had to bite the tires. I don't know. I don't know what to do if I actually catch a nation. Here's my nation. Here, take me. Do with me what you will. Get back to you. I actually have no idea what to do. And after asking twice, I turned and I said, let me just be honest. I have no idea what to do if we actually got a nation. And they said, well, you've been preaching about it for years because I have all your CDs. I said, yeah, well, I never said what we'd do if we actually got one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's requiring a new structure. It's like, okay, what are we going to do? Nations are actually wanting to be discipled by us. All right, go do it. What do I do? <laughs> do I meet with the leaders? Yeah, meet with the leaders. What do I tell them? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. <laughs> After that, what do I do? I'm not sure what to do. I'm actually not sure what to do. Do we Christianize them? I think Constantine tried that. It didn't work out too well for him. If you aren't a Christian, we're going to... What are we going to do? Sing them to purgatory or... Make it illegal to not be a Christian. That'll work. Do what God doesn't do. Take away their choices. No, I mean, have you actually thought about it? Like, if someone came to you and said, here's my nation, do with, do with us what you will, what would you do? I, I'm not sure why you're quiet, but I think it's appropriate. Because <laughs> that's my response. Like, I don't really know what to do. But I think that God is requiring us. See, the revelation is, I don't want you just to make disciples of nations. I actually want you to make disciples of nations. What are you going to do with that? So when people, instead of people coming to church, they're becoming the church. And people come and they get trained and equipped. And the goal now is for them to get deployed. Now, they don't necessarily have to go to other nations. They might just go to the neighborhood. But the, but the deal is, 
is not just to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. The actual goal is to, to actually disciple your neighborhood, to disciple your city. We have a real passion to see our city discipled, to actually come into prosperity. We, we're, you know, we, there's things we're doing behind the scenes we never would say from the podium, but behind the scenes we actually are strategizing to say, and these are the conversations, they go something like this. What can we do to help our city? We have these kind of conversations. We, we, we open with that question. What can we do to help our city? Like, well, I don't know. So part of the struggle is some of our ideas are get faster horses. And God's all, no, no, no. I got Listen, the things I want done, no one's ever seen, no one's ever heard, hasn't even entered into anyone's heart. See, you're, see, you're talking about... You're talking about scrolls. I'm talking about computers. So you're, you're talking about horses. I'm talking about jets. See, uh, the things, listen, you're dreaming about how, how to get, you're dreaming about the printing press, and I'm dreaming about the microchip. See, I, I'm, I'm five generations ahead of you. See, you need to come into this revelation because the things that you're dreaming about, those things, they're anachronistic. They're out of season. The things, uh, listen, come into my heart because I'm dreaming about things you never heard before. Are you following me? No, I'm asking you, are you following me? And so we, we, we're, we're moving in this place and, and the word that the Lord uh, Bill uh, shared this morning, I think. The word that the Lord gave me, I think it was two or three years ago, he said, you have a church that has a movement. You've developed a government for a church that now has a movement. I want you to develop a government for a movement that has a church. In other words, you developed all your governmental structure, all your leadership structure around pastoring a church. I want you to, I want you to disciple nations. So it's like, okay, we'll just... We'll just add a room on. You ever seen people's house where they've added on like four or five? They just keep building on, but you can tell. It's like, well, we'll just, yeah, we, we've had another child, so we'll add another room on. Pretty soon there are kids in the attic. It's like, top here. It's, it's never designed for 14 children. It's designed for three. It's okay. You can have more kids. We'll just, we'll put a tent in the backyard and... Pretty soon, you know, someone just gets this idea like, hey, why don't we tear down this house and start over? How many kids do you plan on having? What do you plan on doing? Let's build something that was actually made with this in mind. Let's build a structure that was created with this revelation in mind. Are you following me? What could we do if we what could we do if we had cars that actually all the infrastructure was actually built for cars. Like there was actually paved roads. There was actually stoplights. There was actually repair shops. What would it look like if we actually had structure for the things that are coming off the assembly line? Because see, to me, we have revivalists. And to me, a revivalist, part of a revivalist's job is to transform cities. It's an apostolic call. And apostles were people that they, they were actually Roman generals who were commissioned to conquer cities and culturize the people. 
And Jesus told his disciples, you're my apostles. What's the goal? It's to, the power of God displaces the powers of darkness and the government of God replaces the powers of darkness. So we've gotten good at displacing the powers of darkness, but we've not gotten very good at replacing the powers of darkness. So we need to develop government because it says, Isaiah 9, 6, and there shall be no end to the increase of his government or and of what? What's the result? There shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. The zeal of the Lord shall accomplish this. What creates peace? The government of the kingdom. Are you following me? So we're like, okay, so the goal is that we would develop a structure that was built with this revelation instead of added onto as we get pieces. At some point, we're like, hey, this is looking like we're going to have a lot more kids. Maybe we should get a new house. Are you following me? And um, and I think uh, I'm going to end with just uh, something I wrote two years ago that I read to our, in a staff meeting. With a growing local congregation and expanding world influence, Bethel Church has found itself thrust into a dynamically accelerated favor, creating a need to re-examine our core structures, individual roles, and governmental foundation. The challenge is allowing God to increase our favor while deepening our content, convictions, and connections. It's important that we understand the pressure points of our growing influence and address the bottlenecks, constrictions, and traditions that restrain the work the Lord's desiring to do in us, to us, and through us. These, these restraints lie most often in rigid mindsets that resist change, outdated systems, and outgrown structures that limit our influence and hinder our progress. One of the greatest struggles growing ministries, or any, actually, organization has, growing organizations encounter is ways of thinking that overemphasize security and sabotage growth. These mindsets are usually rooted in traditions, number one, traditions and customs that have been canonized but are actually cultural convictions rather than scriptural commands. Number two, identities that have been developed through roles that people perform and therefore protect or defend their sense of personal self-worth. I never face any of these. Number three, <clears throat> God manifestations that have become corporate identities certain, certain churches or ministries get get known for, become known for. These churches often try to perpetuate their emphasis long after the Holy Spirit's highlighting another aspect of the Father. These churches become famous for the way we were, and their people become artifacts in a museum. <clears throat> and um, and I, I know there's lots of <clears throat> thoughts about that, but the point is that <clears throat> I, I don't ever think that we lose a manifestation necessarily. I just think there are seasons where God shouts one thing and whispers another. And other seasons, he shouts another thing and whispers something else. Are you following me? I think we always have access to the things that God gave us. I don't think we're supposed to ever lose them. I think we're supposed to protect them. <clears throat> you know, the, the joy, the laughter, the, the power, all the things that God's given us, I think we're supposed to treasure those, and they become a foundation that we build on. We don't ever lose them. They become a foundation we build on. But like Hebrews 6, where he says, now leaving the elementary teachings of Christ, let's press on the maturity. And then he mentions six elementary principles like resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment, you know, baptism, you know, uh, faith towards God, just minor things. He's not saying leave them like don't believe in them anymore. He's saying, listen, you've got these things down. Now build something on this. 
And I believe we're building towards the nations. We're building towards the nations. We're practicing on our city. And you're going to see a dramatic different structure in the next 10 years as God gives us more and more pieces of how the kingdom comes and how his will actually looks on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand so I can pray for you, please? Some of you, um, I feel like this is a a word for for, uh, many of us corporately, maybe people watching on iBethel TV. I used to wake in the night as a young believer with dreams of certain individuals who were lost. And I would wake up weeping for them. It was very common. Years. It still happens to me on occasion. But what's really common for me is to wake with a nation on my heart. Like to wake up, I sometimes will wake at 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, and I would just be taken with, how do we help this nation? How does the kingdom come? And I'll be dreaming at night about it, thinking about it, laying awake, just asking, Holy Spirit, what does it look like? We sing that song, what does it look like? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. I don't even know how the song goes now. Sorry, my mind went blank. <clears throat> you wouldn't want me to sing it anyway. It's not my definitely gift. <laughs> sing over the nations. We want them to leave. I thought we wanted them to come. Um. I think that some of you are burdened for nations, not just people, and it feels weird. Like, why do I have this burden for a nation, like, or a city? It could be a city. Like, you're waking up, and you're and you're you're thinking about your city, like 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 it's your like it's your like it's your lost brother, or like a like your your one of your children are in trouble. You're waking up with that sense, but it's for a, a it's for a city, or it's for a a town or it's for a, a state or it's for a nation or it's for nations and you're waking up with that sense like and I feel like that's the beginning like God gives you a burden like he impregnates you with this with this with this city he impregnates you it's like labor pains you're like you're troubled in a good way about something about a about a geographic location or about an organization I think that some of you, and I know this sounds almost silly, but some of you wake up troubled for General Motors. And you think, this is stupid. I'm not going to tell anybody this. I'm troubled for a corporation. And it's weird. Like, you wouldn't even tell anybody because it seems so weird. It's like, I woke up troubled over the, over the Ford Corporation. And I'm not going to even tell anybody about that. They're going to think I'm crazy. But the Lord's actually putting corporations in your heart and you're like, I, I'm, there's something that I'm going to somehow have influence. Maybe it's just, maybe, it, maybe it's prayer. I was going to say just prayer. That's a stupid thought. Maybe it's prayer. I'm going to pray and prophesy over that corporation. Maybe I will never meet a person, but God's called me to, for, to get Ford Corporation heavenly help, angelic help. And, I, and my prayers and prophecies are the way I'm going to help. I'm going to release angels over Ford Foundation. 
Ford Corporation, over at General Motors. Or you get the idea. You understand. Maybe it's your city. But, I mean, all I'm trying to say to you prophetically is that many of you are carrying organizations in your heart, and you don't have any idea why. You have no relationship with them. You've never talked to anybody from there necessarily. But you're carrying an organization like somebody would carry a child, and it feels weird. And I'm telling you, the Lord put it in your heart. Maybe you're watching by Bethel TV. The Lord put it in your heart. What do I do? You pray until the Lord tells you what to do. Pray, I mean, pray. Pray. And ask, if, you, if you don't meet anybody, if, you don't, if nothing else happens, begin to say, Lord, what do you want to do in that corporation? What do you want to do in General Motors? Well, I want to do this. Prophesy this to them. I, I mean, you, I don't mean write a letter and give them, send them a prophecy. I mean, just into the heavens. Prophesy that because that releases the angels to go out and carry out his word. It's the angels who carry out the prophetic declarations. So right now, just put your hands up. I just want to commission you. I want to commission you to this apostolic call. Are you with me? I want to commission you to this apostolic call that you wouldn't just come to church. You would become the church and the kingdom would come everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, the kingdom would come. And it would be heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, but it would be greater works than that. That you would begin to make disciples of nations, and whole nations would come into the kingdom. And Lord, we just pray right now for that. That, you're, that, you, that you would cause every single person, in the sound of my voice, become an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Everywhere they go, they would be an ambassador. An ambassador, wherever an ambassador is, that right there is, that's, that's, that's country property. You're a government property. Lord, I pray right now that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God by the people of God extending the kingdom in them and then through them. That we begin to see ourselves as ambassadors of another world. That we would sit in heavenly places and not just on earth. That we take our rightful place in heavenly places and we live from heaven towards earth instead of just from earth towards heaven. A power, that powerless sense of trying to bring change from the bottom up instead of from the up, from, from, the, from heaven down. Lord, we, we need angelic help. Come on. I don't think we can command angels, but we can sure ask for them. Lord, we pray for angelic help. Hebrews 1, you said in your word... That you have given angels as servants to those who inherit salvation. That'd be us. We need some help. We need some. We need unemployed angels to come and be employed into this apostolic season, so that we create synergy with the angelic. That we create strategic alliances with your heavenly allies, and we get angelic help into our corporations, into our cities, into our nations. Lord, we want them to prepare the way for us. We, we, want, we want them to help us, give us revelation like they did Daniel. Tell us what the dream means. You know, all that stuff. We need that stuff. That's, that practical stuff that says, hey, this is what that dream means. This is what that revelation means. This is what's going to happen. This is the protection you have. Lord, we need that stuff. We don't want, we don't want to be an angel-free church. We don't want to be a non-profit corporation. Lord, we want apostles and prophets and angels, and we want it all, Lord. We want all the stuff so that we can actually make disciples of nations. Say this, say, Lord, use me me. to change the world. world. Give me ideas ideas. that are your ideas ideas. that make the world a better place. And And I receive that for myself in Jesus' name. Now just put your hand on someone's shoulder and I want you to pray on their shoulder. 
the government rests on their shoulder. And I want you to just begin to pray for them.